so you do a lot of really interesting things and and you're also i think hopefully the last andrew from pumping station one oh, there's um, always more andrews that's <laughs> that's the one thing i know that's certain in life that there okay. will always be more andrews so, so you guys aren't like the high end where they can only be one. Hello, hello again, and welcome to This Should Work, episode 14, a conversation with Andrew Soa, who, amongst many other things, is an electrical engineer, um, a writer for Supply Frame Hardware. Uh, he does a lot of great PCB art that you might find on Hackaday and many other places, um, and a member of Pumping Station One, another Andrew, if you will. Uh, in this episode, we talk about all of that, plus more, and the art of... Uh, using PCB as a medium, a material to make cool stuff. So, I really enjoyed this interview with Andrew and it got me thinking a lot about how we design um, as makers, uh, as, as people who make things, not only um, the things that we make, but the space and the environment around us um, and how that, that influences what we make, the tools that we use and how those influence what we make and of course, as well, um, the philosophies um, and the ideas that that, uh, that are joined almost intrinsically with the things that we do. Hope you enjoyed this episode, number 14. Um, if you are enjoying This Should Work and <laughs> all of the, uh, the, the library now, the compendium of episodes that we've done, please like, share, subscribe on iTunes and all those other places. And without further ado, here's interview number 14, Andrew Soa. All right, so this is uh, we're we're here with Andrew Soa, and um, we're we're uh, Andrew. How are you today? <laughs> I'm doing good. How are yourself? I I can't complain. Uh, thanks for joining us, um, Andrew. You know you've worked on a couple Kickstarter projects that um, that were pretty cool, and I I want to talk to you a little bit about those a little bit later. Um, I, I found I find your day job very interesting because you know when I listen to um, your interview on the Amp Hour, you talked about how you worked in uh, with industrial designers as well as uh, mechanical engineers and, and other people. So I'd like to hear a little bit about that. Um, and and you know, so you do a lot of really interesting things, and and you're also, I think, hopefully, the last Andrew from Pumping Station One. Oh, there's um, always more Andrews. That's <laughs> that's the one thing I know that's certain in life that there okay. will always be more Andrews. So so you guys aren't like the Highlander where there can only be one. No, though there's like everywhere I go, I find more. So, yeah, nicknames so, uh, are important. <laughs> did I and did I real quick before we jump in? Did I miss anything about what you, what you do, what you're a part of? Anything that you want to plug at the head of the podcast? Uh, a lot of people know me for my PCB art stuff that I've been doing. So that's my most yeah. public facing uh, work. Um, so I've been doing weird stuff with KiCad and trying to make that do things that it doesn't want to do and um you know interesting shapes and different different fun projects like that um but and i actually did just uh i got a new job that i can't talk about as much as my old job so um but i'm now doing more uh more serious engineering work and uh circuit layout for my day job so um okay congratulations i moved on from lighting five years was enough but 
Um, yeah, it's less interesting because I can't talk about it as much. That's great. Well, we don't have to anyways. I've got plenty of things that I want to ask you um, and I'd love that I'd love to hear your your thoughts on. Um, so so that should be fine. Uh, and, you know, the, one of the ways that we, we kick off the podcast is by talking about, you know, kind of not not things that you're working on for the public or writing blog posts about. Or I know you, you share things out on Hackaday and things like that, too, but something that you're working on personally, something for you. And so what is it what is it that you're working on right now or that you worked on recently that was just kind of like a personal project? Um, so right now, my personal project is building out my lab in my new place. And that cool. is, uh, it's quite the extreme project and it always takes way longer than I wanted to. Um, but I, I've always enjoyed setting up workspaces. Um, I kind of, for my last job, I had to do it for, um, you know, I was the only electrical engineer at the company to start. So I basically had to build out the entire lab. Um, you know, there's a small lab, but I had to, you know, it was, you know, it wasn't functional, so I had to make that functional. So that's been my new uh, project is figuring out how to get all my stuff set up, organized well, um, you know, and then set up for I want to do more content stuff. So making videos um, and recording. So uh, figuring out how to get all that nicely in one, you know, 10 by 10 room uh, and just improving my workflow because uh, I've noticed when I have a good setup, I tend to enjoy working more and do more, uh, get out more stuff uh, faster. So, you know, I want to take time to make sure this is everything set up well. So what is your, what is your ideal setup look like? Uh, I think it's always in flux. There's never uh, <laughs> an ideal setup um, because, you know, what you're doing changes, uh, you get new equipment. So that's kind of one of the challenges, but um I think the main thing is having things accessible. Um, I, I have a, I have a very nice scope that I invested money into, and it's been in varying states of use because it's been in varying states of setup, um, as accessible. So when I when it's out and present and easy to turn on, I tend to use it more. So mm. I think accessibility of tools is is kind of the most important thing is knowing where things are at and getting at things easy because uh, you'll you use the right tool more when you could get at it faster. That's interesting. How, how much do you think the tools that you use or the tools that are around you when you're working on something influence your your thought process, right? Like you have an idea or maybe you don't when you sit down um, and you know how much of the final product is that idea, and how much of it is is what you what you surround yourself with, what guides you as you as you you know go through the the the, the build process and the design process. Uh, what's around me, I think, affects me a lot. Um, I mean, just if I think back, how I started making things, I didn't have a, I wasn't a professional engineer, so uh, I didn't have the financial resources to just go out. Uh, you know, buy exactly what I needed or or get the spe uh, specific part. So you kind of just build what you have around you. So it may be, you know, stuff that's in your room or within Zarn's reach, you kind of just grab and, and put together and, and try to get to your idea as fast as you can. So, you know, kind of what tools you have and what you have around you definitely affects how I think about the problem and uh, what 
what solutions I may use to uh, implement the problem. Huh. Can you, do you have like an example, maybe something, maybe when you, especially when you, you started out earlier, something that you, you know, that, that you, you put together, not necessarily because of, you know, a convenience, but because what, what was around you, what you were surrounded with spoke to you in a way that led you to, you know, whatever, whatever it is that you ended up building. Yeah. Uh, I think the pr prime example from when I was younger is I, uh, I used to play bass. I kind of fallen off on that bass guitar. Uh, and when I was younger, uh, I didn't have a good, uh, amp set up. So I wanted to get a better amp. And, uh, one of my friends happened to find like, a oddly find like a magnet or like a speaker that was like damaged in like water. So the cabinet was all messed up. Um, everything was, was kind of uh, junky, but the magnet was still good. Um, and it was a weird design where he actually reordered the cone as a separate part. Okay. So I ended up ordering the speaker cone and then building a, a cabinet around this speaker that I happened to just acquire um, and ended up making my own uh, base cabinet. Uh, this was probably when I was 16 or 17 or so. Um, so it was kind of upcycling as well as like an inspiration for a project. So um, it didn't, wasn't the best sounding thing. Um, and it was yeah. probably, you know, 67% of what I could have paid for um, an actual one or a used one, but um, it was a fun thing to do and uh, learn a lot about it. And uh you know, things be, are a little different when um, they're bespoke and you made it. And it's like, it's a little, you know, it feels better when, you know, there's some sentimental value in that. So how how much of that, I'm, I'm assuming you're probably able to get, you know, more of the tools that you need or that you think you need or want um, for your builds now. You have a little bit more access to the things that, that can enable you to, to, you know, to make what's in your head. Um, how much of that do you find yourself still doing? How much of that is of, of your build process is still, um, you know, kind of the seren serendipitous, uh, you know, combination of of things that are, are around you, and how much of it is is more planned out, more more thought out because you have more access to the, the things you need. Um, you know, I guess what I'm trying to get at is is do you still find uh, that do you do you still harness that same amount of serendipity in your build process or because you have more access to more resources, you know, sometimes we find ourselves, you know, kind of, uh, you know, stuck along a, a path in some ways. I, I'm sure you don't feel like that, but um, hopefully you know what I'm getting at because I, I <laughs> sometimes I don't. Yeah, I feel um, that still applies in time sensitive stuff. So, um, you know, there's a, I need to solve this within the next 20 minutes. Um, and that's when you start looking around the room and saying, you know, I could use that piece of lumber there and, you know, this bin over here and, and kind of slap something together. So that, that skill um, is, is still relevant for time sensitive things. Um, I'm, not everyone will get this, but I kind of call it like the MacGyvering. It's like a, a rubber, rubber band, a paperclip and a piece of gum and you could, you know, make anything. So that's where I still see it. Um, as I get older, though, and have more resources, uh, maker spaces definitely change that. Um, you know, I have kind of whatever equipment I want. I kind of, you know, I now have access to with the you know PS One M Hub, uh, things like that. 
Um, so right. now it's more about uh, it's more about time and knowledge of tools. Um, so you know, there's tools that I know, and there's kind of processes I know, and that's kind of the barrier now to um, expanding more. So it's not necessarily things and resources. It's uh, it's more about time and time invested into learning new processes and new tools. Huh. And when you say new processes, is there something, do you have like a specific idea when you say that of, of, of what that means um, to you right now or, or a specific example of, of what that means? Um, I mean, so like one example that's common in makerspaces is uh, you kind of got your 3D printers, your laser cutters, and uh, your carving machines. So, um, you know, I'm probably, I have like, I could use a laser cutter, but I haven't used it that much. Um, and especially we, at PS1, we got a new one that I never really used. Uh, so I don't know the tool chain for that. Um, so I may, I may tend to use the smaller laser cutter instead of the bigger laser cutter. because I don't know the tool chain and I want to get it done or even things like, um, cutting acrylic, like technically you could cut acrylic on, um, a carving machine. So maybe I'll use the carving machine to cut acrylic or or make some or change materials. I'll make it out of wood on a carving machine instead of making on the laser cutter out of acrylic because mm. I'm more familiar with that process. And it's, um, it's a comfort thing and it's possibly a time thing. Um, so I, you know, one, one thing that I found interesting about your, your interview um, on amp hour um, that I think could possibly link to this in some way is when you were talking about, and I, you know, I don't remember the exact words, but you were talking about, I, I think, um, uh, your, the PCB artwork that you do and how you, you're informed by the material, I, you know, at Paul or, or, you know, when, when I speak about it, I call it like the, you know, when you're following the generative form of material, um, does, is that something that isn't just with the materials, but do you think that that's like, that informs how you choose the tools that you're working with? how you choose to choose the tools that you surround yourself with in, in your, in your workshop um, is that, you know, you, it kind of, you, you know, what kind of thinking might emerge from them or, I, I, you know, it, it, what's the, where does that choice come in? I guess. Uh, yeah, I definitely think what tools you use kind of um, guide the design process and um, you know, probably more unintentionally than intentionally. Uh, but it's definitely, definitely happens. Um, I kind of, I, one thing, like tools, like software is a tool. So I'm familiar with, um, familiar with KiCad. So that's kind of what I use to do all my designs. Um, and so like one example, if I were trying to do, use Eagle, um, that would, um, that would be a time investment to learn that. So I, I know KiCad. And it presents things in a certain way, and it just uh, you know, cat tools in general present things in a certain way. So I, I had this conversation with some people before. Is that just the fact that those tools present uh, information in a certain way guides what people think is possible? So, mm. uh, for example, PCB tools they um, they have two layers, four layers, um, typically what they present to the user, um, and because that's what they present, that's what people think is available. But in reality, uh, 
PCB stackups are pretty custom things for the most part. I mean, you, there's Oshpark and there's other services that have standard, um, standard stackups that uh, are helpful for doing um, designs with sharing sharing the panels. But when you go when you're making you know 500 or something, a thousand something, um, it's pretty much whatever you want they can make because there's a certain pieces that they put together. So you could do a 12 layer board, you could do a one layer board. It's um, you know, it, everything's fairly custom, but because the tool presents two layers, four layers is kind of like the standard that guides people thinking of like, that's what's possible. But in reality, mm -hmm. there's, there's more possibilities. Do you, you know, one of the things that this sounds like to me is we, we talk about like a flow like state in game design where, um, you know, and I'm going to, I draw parallels sometimes between play and games and, and some of these, you know, the, the maker and tinkering things. Um, in a flow-like state would be like, you know, when you're playing a video game and you lose all track of time. And it's because um, as, as you play the game, it presents challenges commensurate to the skills that you have, and it continues to increase the skills that you have as well. And so you kind of get a sense of how the, you know, the tools and the game work. And then you use those tools to overcome increasing challenges. Um, you know, do you find any, are, are there any similarities? Is that a, is that a, an, an, inter, an apt comparison or is that, is that uh, way off the mark? What's the, uh, you know, I think it's, there's some similarities and some differences. Yeah. There's definitely a, a flow like state to, to making things. And I, I, you know, I get into that and I, I enjoy that, that, I guess, sensation or, or state of mind um, where you kind of block out uh, the world for a while and you spend a couple hours and, and kind of get into something. Um, specifically, uh, PCB layout is where that, on its most common, that I just could throw on some headphones and, you know, five hours later I could be um, kind of thinking 15 minutes went by because um, it kind of, it it's a very... It tends to be a very creative thing. It's kind of like a solving a puzzle that um, you don't know can be solved, which is the interesting part of that. Um, the little different thing I think uh, with video games versus making stuff is uh, video games are a completely, or I wouldn't say completely. I don't want to speak out of tone, but um, you you have a lot of control of the the user experience, so you could gradually get people to um, develop those skills. So you could have a beginner level, things mm -hmm. like that, where in a lot of making and tools um, and kind of discovering new processes, there's like this bump where there's like this wall that you have to get over. And um, it's kind of this big burden in the beginning um, to kind of get enough knowledge to then feel like you could then um, do self-discovery and kind of uh, get, get, gain more skills. Oh, so uh, overcoming yeah. that first bump is, is tends to be a difficult thing. And even for me learning new skills, um, because one, like I feel like, Oh, it's going to take too long for me to learn that. So I don't want to use it. So that's kind of detracts me from learning it. And also it just like, it, it's not a great feeling to like fail so much at something. And that's what you're huh. going to do when you learn new skills, you're going to fail a lot and you're going to feel like you're terrible. Um, so that's, that's kind of, that makes that pump a little more difficult. How do you, how do you overcome that? How do you, how do you, 
you know, a lot of people, I, I, you know, I, I hear this from, you know, just for instance, from, from my, my wife, you know, who <clears throat> I've been doing makerspace things for about the past decade now, <clears throat> started with, um, you know, Workshop 88 in Glen Ellen and then, and Space Lab now. And, um, you know, so Sarah, my wife has been around this stuff for, for 10 years and only recently has she started getting interested in it. And that's because we bought, you know, amongst other things at the space, um, a vinyl cutter and she's done textiles since she was a kid and that was something that she could connect to and something that she was not immediately frustrated by but then since then she started getting into you know all of these other um, tools at the space and I'm not necessarily saying this is everybody's trajectory but but it, it did take something that she was familiar with in order to get her involved in and okay with you know other spaces of uncertainty or things she wasn't was unfamiliar with and so I'm wondering, you know, if you have any, um, yeah, you know, what is what is it? Is it an eight innate in you, or is it a, a, a you know tactics that you have? How do you overcome that hump? I think there, I, I take two main things to this, um, and like Chris from uh, Amp Power um, kind of has a big uh, idea around this: is that you have to uh, he has contextual electronics, so you have to start try to start off with something that you really want and you're passionate about or something that you feel like has to exist in the world. And that feeling right. of this has to exist is going to help you kind of offset that, that negative feeling that's going to help you get over that hump to where then it doesn't feel as bad to, to start develop, developing those new skills. So, you know, a lot of new things I've learned in, um, and things I've discovered is I wanted something to exist and I was very passionate about trying to make that. So, uh, that pushed me through those like difficult times. Hmm. Um, the second thing is, uh, is what I try to do when I'm teaching people is, um, teach them things that people think are hard that aren't actually hard before, uh, they realize that they're supposed to think it's hard. Um, so, um, surface mount soldering, uh, tends to have like this uh, idea that it's more difficult than through hole. Um, and there's some bias that like, uh, because it's smaller, because it's not as, I would say not as common and that's changing a little bit that it's more difficult, but I think surface mount soldering in a lot of cases is actually easier than through hole soldering. So trying to get people to do that right away before they know they, to think it's difficult uh, tends to help people get further past that that wall um, in that kind of new stage where there's still some ex just natural excitement from uh, something being new. So you kind of mm. use the newness to kind of help them nudge forward. Um, and another thing I like to do is like in KiCad, and the way I, I do a lot of stuff is um, I ma manipulate uh, text from the different files. So being open source and, um, you know, kind of the way they developed it is that all the files are are just human readable. You can put it in Notepad or, or any, you know, text editor and uh, words will show up. Words, numbers, there's kind of like a system. So there's a data structure that is human readable and you could manipulate. So there's things in the software that the graphical interface doesn't present to you. But if you type them in into the text, it's going to parse it properly. So getting people to think about the, the program, not as just 
a graphical interface, but also as a text interface, um, it helped them possibly get past challenges they have in the future because uh, once they get stuck at something from the graphical side, they could look at the text file and try to, you know, see if they could fix it on, the, on that way. Oh, okay. So you're kind of giving them different, um, different, you know, you know, my wife's a, an educator and so she'll talk about when she's teaching people things, how some people are tactile learners, you know, some people um, are, are visual learners. And so you're, it sounds, maybe I'm, I'm off base a little bit, but like what you're talking about is one, one good way to help people overcome these challenges is to present the information to them in, in different ways that they might more easily connect to. Uh, I haven't, I, mean, I think that's a good thing that I haven't thought about is um, that's kind of the, the multiple ways of looking at a problem uh, can help different learners. Um, but that's not necessarily what I was thinking when I'm doing this, but <laughs> I think that's a good um, non uh, conscious uh, benefit of that, of that kind of approach. Um, I'm more just thinking about, I don't want people to be scared to like take things apart. Um, mm. I don't want people to have that feeling like this is a black box and you shouldn't know what's in the black box. I want people to have the feeling like this is something that it's meant to be taken apart and you shouldn't be scared of taking it apart. Interesting. So this, you know, just, just talking with you is interesting because, you know, when, when, um, uh, you know, I read about some of your work online. You talk about yourself. Um, you know, you're you're you have an electrical engineering. Um, that's your that's your profession. That's your trade. Um, but you mentioned earlier on that that's not what you started out doing. Is is that correct? First of all, uh, I mean, started out doing it like I was making stuff when I was a kid. So I yeah. mean, like Legos and stuff. But I kind of moved, yeah. like I made my own uh, bicycle ramps for BMX stuff. Yeah. I did wood shop at a kind of early age. Um, so, so I've always, yeah. always been a maker and it wasn't until college that I became an engineer. Yeah. That's interesting to me. I mean, right. Obviously you were an electrical engineer when you were two, um, <laughs> but, uh, or maybe you were, um, but what's, what's interesting about that is, is listening to you talk about certain things is you, you're not talking about it in, in what I would consider, you know, people who are, who consider themselves, you know, I have a lot of friends who work at Caterpillar for instance, right? Um, and, and some of them certainly think like artists and, and, and others think like, and, and I'm sure you're familiar with people who are engineers to the bone. Right. And, and the way you're talking about things seems more like, you know, approaching engineering from, from an artist's kind of eye. Um, I, I wonder if you think of yourself as, uh, you know, in, uh, occupying some kind of, a. uh, a dual role do you consider yourself an i mean obviously you make art do you consider yourself an artist as much as an engineer or what's the what's the what's the dna there what's the makeup what drives you know the the work that you're doing uh i, I said this uh i forgot how long ago but um i feel like like when i was in high school i felt like i needed to become an engineer because no one would care about my art and now that i'm adult uh most people don't care about my engineering, which is not a completely accurate statement, but I feel like I'm more known for art now than engineering work. But, um, you know, as like a teenager, I thought that like I would, you know, engineering is the more, I guess, practical thing. So um, I still 
I still still make all my money from engineering, so I guess I was right in that sense. But uh, I, I think my kind of my bones and my upbringing was definitely um, more artist than engineer, and I think that they're related, but they're definitely um, different mindsets. So they they could they could benefit each other, but I definitely met some engineers who are just um, they definitely think a lot differently than me, which isn't bad. Um, it's just a different mindset. Yeah, it's it sounds to me, and just from looking at some of your work online, it looks like you you know you you do a lot of things that um, you know to the to if I were just to to scroll through and not think about it are, are seemingly disconnected, right? You've got um, a lot of the craft work that you do on your website. Um, and then you've got, you know, the PCB artwork that you do. You've got um, the, uh, I think you did a Kickstarter as well as an Indiegogo. Um, both, which I have questions about, by the way, because you, you seem to focus on this area of like food or things that you consume. Um, but I guess my point is that they, they seem disjointed. But when you, when you look a little bit deeper, a lot of these seems, things seem to have like a, a thread that runs through them. And, and I wonder if that like informs the way that you approach your engineering process in any way. Uh, I mean, the Kickstarter thing and Indiegogo thing, those were, uh, what products those become were a longer story of uh, kind of happenstance and, and people mm -hmm. who are around me um, and things like that. But I think kind of everything's related because uh, in just the sense that uh, one, I like to make things like I get a lot of joy of creation and and design and um, functionality as well as aesthetics of things. Um, and then also, I think I get uh, kind of bored with stuff pretty easily. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm always trying to uh, I try to do things differently uh, as I go. So um, I don't know if it's. Um, I don't, know. I don't know exactly the source, but I tend to get bored with kind of doing the same thing over and over again. So that leads to kind of more exploration because it's like, how can I take this and twist it a little bit? And I can take that and mm -hmm. twist it. Um, so that let, you know, yeah. that let me having a lot of different hobbies and interests over my life. And that um, also leads me to try to you know combine those things. So I may learn something from building an RC plane that I apply to... Um, doing um like a architecture project in school or um you know that you know doing painting warhammer figures could be applied to um you know house painting or something so you know i i had a lot of interest and part of it i think since i just get bored with stuff so i i want to try to to change yeah. it up what is, what is it you know i i kind of share that sentiment a little bit um that you know, I'll, I'll, I'll work on something uh, and and then I'll get to a point where I'll, I'll move on from it. And, and it usually happens pretty quickly. What is it that you think, what is it about your, your, your personality or your approach to things that gets you, you bored with, you know, specific projects or, or specific ideas rather quickly and, and pushes you to move on to, to the next thing? What's driving that? Uh, I mean, this is, that's kind of a, 
maybe a difficult answer because I mean some of it could possibly be I mean, when you deal with brain stuff there's you know, brain chemistry and all that and that uh, is something that is probably not as explored in human society as as much as we'd like it to so um, how much is like the nature versus nurture thing and how much is just natural natural brain chemistry a tendency to to do that that's always present but uh, I think there's this other factor of I just want I have a desire to kind of know everything about everything and so once I feel like I've not necessarily mastered but once I feel like I know how something works and when I don't know how something else works ah, so okay um, I think that's definitely you know the tangible answer is that's definitely part of it is I want to it's like a like a un uh, fulfillable quest for knowledge is kind of how these right. I feel is a contributing factor to the kind of being in a lot of different things, getting bored with things uh, quickly. Yeah, you know, there's a the jack of all trades, master of none kind of kind of uh, saying that maybe maybe is fitting or not, but it's it's kind of the you, you know you get seventy or eighty percent of the way through something to the point where you know you could you could take it all the way if you wanted to but all you needed was that 80 percent to understand what's happening behind the scenes and and you can jump to the the next thing that's a or at least that's how i i feel about things sometimes i sense when i'm getting bored with something it's it's because um i get it you know okay i get how this is going to i I get the next 10 steps i get where this is going to go sometimes to my own detriment then i move on to the next thing but oftentimes it's because there's there's nothing else really there intellectually to pursue. I don't know if that's that's the same kind of feeling that you, that you're talking about here, or yeah, or, yeah I definitely yeah. get that feeling. I think um, some of the difference is there if it's a project I'm using to learn versus a project I'm using to like because I want the result. I think that changes um, my likelihood of of accomplishing or finishing the project. So if the project mm-hmm. is just a project as a vehicle to learn something, um, I'm more likely to abandon it before I finished it because the project, um, the result of the project was never really um, the main thing. The main thing was using that as a vehicle to learn something new. Hmm. Uh, but then if the, if it, if the project is something that I want to exist um, and that's the point of the project, that's something that's more likely to be finished. Uh, because it's less about learning and more about um, just having something mm. um, that I could hold that's, you know, fills some need, um, you know, be it in like um, practical or just desire. You know, I, and I, I want to talk about some of the, the other work that you've done, but I, this is really interesting to me that you're, you're talking about this right now. Um, just because it, it, to me, it seems almost like the dichotomy between the creative side and the art and design side of things that you're doing and the engineering side of things, which is more iterative. Right. Um, and you know, sometimes those things bridge, bridge a gap as well. Obviously if you, you know, you, you, um, you end up with completing something or you have some end product that came out of some kind of creative process where that you did not quit on that you did, you know, that you didn't get bored with. And, and I wonder if, if there's ever been a time where you've, you've, you've walked down a path and you've, you've, um, pursued something, you know, perhaps not strictly, but, but, um, largely for creative reasons and then ended up, you know, uh, 
not getting bored of it to the point where you, you begin iterating on it, right? You begin making it, you know, just that that little bit marginally better time over time until it's that complete project. Um, and if you have an example of, of something that that might be uh, emblematic. I, I mean, one, one thing I want to spiral back just uh, a little bit is that um, I think one problem I, I had with um, school is that um, school was a pursuit of knowledge and and not about the end product so it, it made it made school a little difficult uh, for me in the later years so I feel like that um, you know I didn't have like that desire for the end goal um, but I guess the the thing where I felt like it was more it was all fun that it was it's now become iterative is um, kind of the piece of art stuff I did is um, you know, that haul started when I was just, I was working on my Indiegogo campaign uh, board for um, the uh, grow light. And um, it was like one in the morning, I didn't want to go sleep. So uh, I saw some thing on Hackaday for the bench off book and kind of thought that I could apply that to PCBs and kind of knocked it out that night. And then it kind of just spiraled into like this whole other thing and I just kept on kind of doing more things do different projects tweaking it um, and that's kind of grown into something that I really enjoy doing um, and you know kind of the whole badge life thing uh, you know that Joe Grant started way back but uh, it's kind of exploded recently kind of uh, converged into that um, that process so it's kind of just been kind of snowballing and building and building so uh, as soon as I get bored with the aspect of it, there's kind of more that comes with it. Mm. So what's so so let's yeah let's talk about some of these these um, you know these non personal projects you're working on, and I'm guessing this is probably all connected in some way to um, when you were talking about building out your workshop, you were also talking about doing videos and things like that, um, but maybe not. Uh, what what is the wh- so the, the so you work with um you do a lot of PC PCB artwork um I saw you did um you know I think Drew Drew uh, Fastini showed me this a while ago a huge sign for Osh Park at, at one point is that correct uh yeah yeah I have that sitting yeah you know five feet away from me right now <laughs> so that I mean so you 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 do a lot of of that you've done you know a couple of these other um, crowdfunded projects like we talked about. Um, you know, I, I enjoyed some of the, um, the other woodworking projects that you have on your website too, but that, you know, maybe not more public stuff, more personal. Um, but what's, what's interesting to me is that you chose for, for, for PCB art is the medium that you chose. And, you know, it sounds like in part that that was just kind of something that you, you fell into, right? Like you were, you were, um, you know, looking to, you know, fulfill rewards or, or, or something like that. But what is it about it? What is it about PCBs that drove you to them that drove you to that, that material as your medium for, for expression? Uh, I think a lot of it was kind of just uh, dumb luck in a sense. Uh, <laughs> a lot of things converged at once. Uh, I, you know, I want to, you know, one weird thing is like you go through school, you don't, you don't make a circuit board. Um, so it's kind of always something I wanted to do uh, and kind of like knowing about like the DIY circuit board stuff from like back in the day from like music pedals and things like that. Um, I kind of knew of it, but I never went down the route myself. 
Um, so when I first started my old job at the lighting company, um, I had an opportunity to kind of learn that skill for uh, as a useful skill for work. So I could, no one really asked me to do it, but I knew it was going to be going to be useful and I could get away with spending time on it. Um, and then, you know, it was, so that's kind of the start of it, of learning how to do it is that I could carve out time, kind of get paid to learn that skill. Um, and I could bring value to my job and I could also bring value to, you know, whatever I want to do personally. Um, and then kind of the next step was just, you know, wanting to not do something practical in this tool I'm using, wasn't ready for bed and kind of, it, you know, there's some inspiration there. Um, and then I got some positive feedback from um, kind of the community and people were into it. So that kind of pushed me forward. Um, Drew then getting a job with Osh Park definitely, I'm sure, um, helped push me to do that more. So I think it was just kind of a lot of, a lot of small little incidents that um, ended up uh, becoming something bigger. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's really interesting to, to me when, when we, um, you know, when we talk about the creative process uh, and, and when we teach creative process at, at, at uh, in, in the school of design um, at DePaul, or at least when I teach it, you know, one of the things I talk about is kind of that, that following your intuition without necessarily knowing where it's going. And that, that the, that's a, a critical component in, um, in coming up with something new and something different is that you don't necessarily have a specific outcome in mind, but that you've got like some, some, some kind of, you know, something that's driving you to, to want to learn this thing. And, um, you know, something that's driving you to, to the kind of content that's pushing you to, to continue forward. And so what I'm hearing that I'm, what I'm hearing is that you're, you know, in some way you're, you're kind of drawing these little, you know, you're, it's kind of like uh, the strings that tie beads together and you're kind of going from one to the next and there's not necessarily any purpose or, or any, any kind of end goal, but, but it seems like, you know, things begin to take shape until, you know, you start doing something that I think is, you know, all the, all the work that I've seen is incredibly cool, which is doing like the, the PCB art that you're working on. Um, and, and that kind of, you know, does that tie back into a little bit of what we were talking about earlier which is this whole idea of, um, you know, uncertainty and being able to work in uncertainty and, uh, um, and being comfortable in it and, and being able to get over that hump, if you will. Um, you know, I don't know how much of that you, you face when you're, you're in that kind of, um, place, but, but I, I, you know, I, I don't know what kind of question I have here, except a point that, that, that's very fascinating to me that, um, you know, that a lot of this stuff is connecting as we go. I, th I think they kind of th where I most apply that uncertainty type of discussion to is um, this idea of networking and you know, networking as like a college term is very much uh, tends to be interpreted as, as like you go to this specific thing and you meet some people and then boom, your whole life is going to change um, where I don't really see networking as that way. Like a lot of people come up, um, you see it sometimes at the hackerspace, uh, this, um, there's a NERP meetup. Um, that's every other Monday that I've been going to for a while. And NERP and, is just for people who don't know. Oh, uh, not exclusively a raspberry Pi. 
it's a electronics embedded um you know linux uh single board computer type uh meetup um it, it's very it's very general but mostly you know electronics meetup at pumping station one um every other monday and that's been going on for like eight or nine years um uh ed is, ed and drew uh, started it and uh i helped run a couple of meetings in the past but there's you know, different speakers occasionally and or sometimes just free form. Uh, but people come there um, and they have specific questions. So like sometimes people come there, um, which is fine. Um, they come there and say, can you help me solve for X? And then we usually help them solve for X. Um, but that's kind of what I think people typically think of as networking, or at least uh, younger people think of as networking is that you go to this place, like, I want a job, so I'm going to talk to people, and they're going to give me a job, where that's very much about what people can do for you. Uh, and when I think of networking, I think of it's kind of uh, more of a community, and it's um, how you can create relationships that are mutually beneficial to each other. Um, so I knew I wanted to do some of this uh, crowdfunding world and um, this more um, maker style stuff, independent style stuff. So I joined the hackerspace probably like nine months or a year before I knew I was going to start doing a crowdfunding campaign. Uh, I didn't have an idea for what I wanted to do yet. I knew this is kind of a general area I was interested in. And I knew this is the place that I would find people who are also um, interested in similar things. So before I even need needed help from someone or needed to ask for help for someone, I started building that relationship and uh, with other people, um, knowing that, you know, this is the general area that, um, you know, these are the, my type of people, the people I want to associate with and the people that I think we can both help each other, be, you know, form something that's bigger than either of us and better than either of us. Um, yeah. So I've helped people throughout the years in the, from that community and they've also helped me. So um, it creates this nice, relationship where you're both or you know all parties are kind of helping lift each other up um, yeah 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 that you know that's <clears throat> there's um so like uh there's a whole there are a couple different philosophies that um that i've been working on specifically for a, a book that i'm writing about some of this stuff but one of them is uh, you know con and you probably have heard of it too con Kantian ethics and the one of the core tenets of that is that you don't treat people as a means to an end just kind of what you're saying, right? You don't treat, you know, networking is not about uh, using people to get the thing that you want. And then there's there's this there's other field um, in philosophy that's rather new in like the last decade called object-oriented ontology um, that Graham Harmon and Ian Bogust and, and others write about, which is informed a little bit by by Kantian ethics. And, and that talks about not just how not treating people as a means to an end, but not treating objects and, and, and tools and things, things as a means to an end. In other words, you know, rather than approaching the world as I have idea in my head and I am going to impose idea on the world, you know, you kind of you, you use the, the things that are around you, the tools and the materials that are around you to inform that process um and, and not just use them to get to what you want but to to you know kind of um work with them um so this is all 
you know, sorry, I digress, I guess. Um, but this is <laughs> no, philosophy is very interesting to me, and I don't talk about it as much as I want to, and I don't spend time to kind of research it, but uh, definitely, um, I think it's an interesting, important uh, subset that is kind of underrated in, in the technical fields. So I wonder, okay, so this is interesting. Um, I, I'm seeing a connection here between, maybe, between, um, you know, I know that, I, I don't remember if I read something that you'd written, or maybe it was in one of the, the interviews that you've done, um, that you've, you've gone to China before. And um, uh, or a couple times, right, for, for to, to visit manufacturing facilities. Yeah, I went uh, twice for work, and then um, what? A short time in China, but Japan for uh, um, just a vacation. Uh, sure, pleasure. So, so, and I don't know if you've read um, Hardware Hacker uh, Bunny's book. Oh yeah, um, I've, I've read Bunny's book. I've been a fan of Bunny for. Um, since since high school when i was modding my original my xbox huh. back in the or since college when i was modding my xbox uh, <laughs> and a quick aside is i my first conference talk i did this year and bunny happened to be in the front row at my first conference talk so that was a little uh anxiety inducing <laughs> moment there so uh, that was a teardown was right also a little terrifying uh to start yeah that was at tear uh crowd supplies teardown yeah so um so we were both there um what's um so in his in, in you know in his <laughs> so this is interesting because because now we're gonna both sound like big fans which we are but um what you know in his book he talks about like the different philosophy behind um how people approach um you know intellectual property and and making things in china specifically he's 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 talking about like shenzhen but i think more broadly as well um and so you've 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 visited you've you've toured you know the the facilities that I'm assuming your your company worked with, um has, you know I I wonder if, you know if you've noticed any of that if if there are different philosophies out there that inform how, you know how how we globally think about doing things and making things that perhaps Western culture is not exposed to, um I don't know if that's something that you've 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 seen or, um. You know, it, it, what what has your experience been? Uh, I guess what I would like to—I mean, yes, there is a difference, and and Bunny is probably more qualified to discuss nuances uh, since he's he's spent more time in that region. Uh, but the the main thing is, I would kind of like to add is that um, you know, every, there's no unified uh, philosophy in China. You know, I've seen people who are super protective of their own IP. I've seen people try to steal IP. Um, people who are trying to uh, be greedy and get a buck off you. or um, And then people who, um, you know, try very hard to make the best thing possible at a fair price. Um, you know, the food is, you know, from region to region is different. The people from region to region are different. You know, it's a it's a giant country with billions of people, um, and just like you know, from Chicago to even the suburbs of Chicago, New York, Chicago, L.A., there's different uh, kind of general philosophies and culture. You know, all that exists. You know, orders of magnitude more in China. So, you know, you go to Shanghai, it's different than Hong Kong, which is different from 
Shenzhen, which is different than Guangzhou. So, you know, kind of all these different ideas exist everywhere because, you know, they're, we're all similar humans. Like, so just like there's a variant difference of ideas between humans in America, there's various different types ideas of human in China. And, you know, the, you know, kind of basic premises, people just want to, you know, they want to eat, they want to be happy. And that's kind of, um, you know, sometimes that's manifest in different things because there's different circumstances people have, but you know, their life is, you know, daily life, life for them, a lot of them is fairly similar to the daily life in America. Get up, go to work, come home, eat with their family, you know, kind of hang out. Um, you know, I mean, it's more complicated than that because they're different government structures and things like that. But, uh, as a whole, I mean, I think, uh, Scotty from Strange Parts was talking about this today uh, on his video. Um, he does a lot of stuff. He lives in Shenzhen, does a lot of stuff, um, traveling, things like that. Is that, um, the main thing is like, things are fairly the same all over because everyone's humans and humans have uh, similar tendencies and behaviors and things like that. So, um, you know, the main thing, yeah, that's the main thing is, you know, everyone, there's people everywhere and it's not this other, and it's not this hugely different thing. It's just people are people and that becomes, that could be messy sometimes. Sure. So you're saying, uh, I just, and I just want to, that there's, you know, I think one of the, one of the things when you read through, through Bunny's book is he's talking kind of, he's, he's talking about, um, gosh, what is it? I forget the the underground group that he's referring to. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, yeah, there's like a philosophy. Uh, I forgot the name of it, but the yeah. philosophy of sharing ideas and um, right. kind of iterating and making, which, um, you know, I think that ex- the one equivalent is kind of like open source is similar ideas, you know, sharing ideas, maker spaces, uh, content creators, um, you know, kind of the, uh, we do better as a whole, um, than we do as, you know, siloed individuals. Hmm. So do you, do you find that, and I just want to switch gears because we were talking about makerspaces earlier and why you joined makerspaces and, and that you were attracted to that sort of, you know, that culture of, 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 and, and that group of people, um, is, is that something, or is there something about that culture that draws you to? you know, pumping station one on a, whatever, a weekly basis. Is there something about that, the, the people in that community that draws you to them, um, that, you know, you might find as a, a differentiator between other people? Uh, I think one is just common interest. Um, you know, things may be changing a little bit. I mean, I don't know what it's like to be like a 13, 14 year old nowadays, but, uh, you know, I know when I was younger, like, this wasn't like the cool thing to do. Um, so there was kind of some isolation uh, built in to that. So um, doing some of this work, especially younger, kind of uh, there's, I guess, like a for lack of a better word, like a shame involved um, because it, it wasn't like the cool thing to do. So, um, you know, the hackerspace is kind of finding people with similar interests. So that's like a, somewhat of a tribal thing is uh, there's just some enjoyment of that, that there's a common language and common philosophy, um, and, you know, 
kind of uh, commonality, so it makes um, some communication a little easier. So I think that's kind of the main thing is just uh, these are other people that like what I like, and we could talk about that that I can't talk about with on a level with um, just like the general public. Hmm. What is um, what is it that they like that you like? What is the what are the commonalities? Uh, I mean, for the electronics meetup, it's just electronics, microcontroller, Arduino, yeah. um, soldering, you know, stuff like that. Um, isn't necessary. It's getting more and more uh, common vocabulary, but it's not necessarily common. So, um, you know, that's kind of like my main area I stay in now is like electronics and firmware development, things like that. Um, I do like other things, but those are kind of more offshoots and um, like woodworking is kind of just a resurrection of, of things I used to do when I was younger. So um, it's kind of just like re-implementing skills I've, I've had before. Um, okay. So I don't, I don't do woodworking that often. And that's more for, we're working now, it's more for the product and the process. So, um, you know, I make stuff because I want them to, to exist or for gifts for other people, things like that. Um, you know, kind of like... Um, making furniture for myself, like small for, you know, not anything big now, but, um, so since, you know, that's kind of like an old skill that I've resurrected as like a tool to, uh, do end product stuff where electronics is still, um, something that's, um, I'm more in the exploration, uh, phase and things like that. Do you, do you use, so, I mean, so those are, that's how you draw connections or, you know, between what you're interested in your community. Um, at pumping station one, what about um, drawing connections between the, um, you know, the more traditional kind of craft stuff that you're doing, like woodworking and, you know, either your profession or, you know, the PCB art that you do or the electronics. Do you view that? Do you view them as, as similar ways of thinking? Do you view them as different ways of thinking? And that's why you, 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 you do both of them is to take a break from one or the other. Um, what's the, you know, I know you have ideas and, and like you said, you're, you're working to implement them because you want to see them in the real world. But I'm wondering if there's, there's anything, you know, deeper that's happening there that, that, that drives you to, to do, you know, these things. I think everything's related on in one level. I mean, just in the, the 40,000 foot view, you know, making something is, is making something is making something and that has its own, uh, type of uh, joys, pitfalls, uh, similarities. Uh, but I think there's, a, you know, these are all kind of, you know, manufacturing is somewhat of a craft, but a craft repeated. Um, and, you know, kind of all these crafts share some commonalities. Um, you know, one thing about like the PCB art, one way I initially framed it is um, you have a silkscreen layer. And the silkscreen layer, uh, you know, most of the time, it's literally a silkscreen um, and um, coming up as like a punk rock kid, um, you know, in the nineties from Chicago, uh, you know, silkscreen <laughs> band t-shirts really popular. Some of my old roommates had silkscreen equipment in the basement. They were making t-shirts. So, you know, thinking of a PCB as a process, that's just silkscreen process. It flips your idea of it from a practical thing to, this is very, you know, very similar, the same as silkscreen t-shirts, which is considered, um, you know, primarily aesthetic thing. So 
Um, I think there's a lot of commonalities that may not necessarily be obvious on the surface, but if you kind of think about the origins and kind of how these process, think about the process uh, of the end result, you can see some commonalities in that. Yeah, you know, one of the things, um, so we're, we're, we're building, uh, DePaul has me building a, another makerspace right now, and one of the things that we've been talking about um, getting there is uh, maybe a couple looms, actually. And, you know, some of the impetus behind that is that, and, and you may or may not know this, but the, I, I certainly didn't until maybe like a year ago, the, the f- first computer program was, was written for a loom. It was, um, and it's because looms function in very much the same way as, as you would need for like a punch card to work. Um, and so there's like these connections between, you know, what you would consider to be traditional craft and new technology. And there are direct lines that you can draw between them. And one of the interesting things that I, I find about that is that those direct lines that you draw between, you know, one machine and another machine or one way of thinking and another way of thinking is it also connects the kind of people who are drawn to those different things together. And that's what I, I find, you know, so fascinating about hackerspaces and so interesting when you're talking about these communities and, and why you're drawn to them is, is that it's not just the, it's, it's that different people are drawn to different kind of, of, of machines, but, but they're all connected and the, the way of thinking about them in, in some, as I think you said, you know, high up kind of view is, is very similar as well. And, and so we can all kind of learn something from each other and, and our, our, our practice or our craft can in, inform, you know, what, what we're doing. And so, you know, kind of as we, as we kind of get to the point where we're going to wrap, wrap this conversation up, and it seems to me at least like it's gone really fast, um, is, is, you know, to talking a little bit, if you could, about what it is, what, you know, what, what it is about hackerspaces that... Um, what are some of the interesting connections that you've seen happen or that you don't think would have ever been made if you, if you hadn't been going or drawn to these kinds of places? Um, but, but that now inform kind of, you know, the things that you do. I mean, I'm trying to think of specific examples here. Cause it's, uh, <laughs> I think it's complicated cause there's kind of a lot has changed since I've, I've been involved with them. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I think one major, one you know, very tangible thing is I started doing some woodworking again, which I don't think I'd ever do, um, because the tools are sitting there. I already knew how to do some stuff, so instead of um, buying some wood stuff for my house or or things, um, I've been making more wood stuff. Um, so because the tools were there, I have access there. In addition to what I was already paying, you know, I, I came for electronics and some community. They happen to have woodworking. I have some of those skills. Um, I kind of utilize that, um, which I don't think I would do. I don't think I would seek out a woodworking shop uh, on its own because it, because it was there. You know, I kind of pick back up this this thing that I used to enjoy doing. Um, so I think that's kind of. Um, the base level of kind of example of how things could spiral out and and grow. Um, I think the main thing is that uh, because I went to this hackerspace in Chicago, it's now opened up kind of this world community and kind of Twitter's 
help with that as well. Um, and, you know, that's kind of how I use Twitter's kind of, you know, access to um, the, the larger community. But I think that's the most important thing I got out of it is that because I kind of walked into the smaller community and people from hackerspaces kind of, they move, you know, people move, people travel, and they, they're like this destination where then um, it helps kind of create this larger ecosystem. And because that larger ecosystem exists, by becoming into like one node of it, you then uh, generally have access to the larger, you know, larger whole. So because I met Drew and other people at Punk Station 1, I now know people literally across the world and, and, and interacted with in a positive way against you know with people in the world hmm. that's i mean that's that's you know that's something that we've talked uh, you know i've talked with a lot of people as as we do these interviews about is is the importance of not just local community but global community to this you know this kind of maker thing and um and and, and not just from the the conversations that you have online um but I mean, obviously, you're doing crowdfunding things, which I'm sure you're getting funding from people from, you know, who, who perhaps you don't know. Um, you know, are there any other? I guess you know, kind of to close close us out. What what are some of the other online? You know the 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 benefits you see just not of just the the local community, but of connecting with that global community. What do you? What do you get from that that informs what you do or encourages or, or helps you pursue, um, you know, your own endeavors? I, I mean, definitely uh, ideas. Um, build, trying to build off other people's ideas. Uh, um, one big example of that is people, uh, this fabric in 3D printing kind of blew up this year. Uh, Shory Design started that and shared it. Um, a lot of people utilize that. Um, in different different uh, different ways, um, so you know definitely new ideas, new ways of looking at things, um, and you know kind of basis is to expand on. Um, the other more practical is uh, you know you could get jobs, you could get opportunities, um, things like that. So um, you know back to the you know, traditional idea of networking as a career thing, um, definitely having that community helps, um, you know, in a very tangible, um, career oriented thing. Um, and I think the other kind of last thing is, uh, collaboration. Um, I've done, uh, with Amy Dansby, she does a lot of cosplay. Uh, I helped her, um, she was doing a workshop in, uh, I believe New Zealand. I did a little soldering kit for her that she uh, used to teach people out there. Um, and then I met her at Supercon um, and we're going to be do probably doing some uh, collaboration on some cosplay projects. Um, so that's, you know, someone I only know because of the internet and now we'll probably do a project together that we'll do online and share files electronically and, uh, you know, maybe meet up uh, to finish it off. But, um, you know, definitely you could facilitate a lot of collaboration just by um, going through different websites and, and, you know, group chats, video chats, things like that. Hmm. 
Yeah, certainly something you couldn't have done in a traditional pottery or uh, or craft co-op, you know, 20, 30 years ago yeah. is, uh, you know, share the files and, and the <laughs> the work that you're doing on uh, with, with another person halfway across the world. Yeah, I've gotten some responses from people in uh, East Asia, India. Yeah. I helped someone uh, with a footprint for, I think, their uh, PhD or master's thesis. Like, it's it kind of breaks your brain a little bit when you think about it, but, um, you know, it's easy to think of the internet as a very, you know, tangible thing with like just kind of people in the U S or people in North America as Americans, but, um, you know, it's literally international to the whole world. And, you know, that's, uh, that could be kind of a scary thing. and also could be an amazing thing because, you know, you put something out there, um, you know, you literally never know where it's going to end up. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting that how that drives a lot of of what this you know whatever this this thing is this maker um, hacker tinker kind of movement is is driven just by the the ease of of access and sharing of information online. Huh. All right. Well, uh, Andrew, this I mean I don't know about you, but for me this flew by. Um, maybe it's I, uh, yeah. I, there's a reason we don't leave hackerspace till two three in the morning because we get talking and we don't stop so an hour is uh an hour feels quick um one of the things that i like to do before i close it up is I, I give everybody an opportunity to either plug you know something that they're working on or is there a place that people can find you online or both um what do you what do you have for everybody listening uh main thing is uh twitter is june's phd that's j-u-n-e-s phd uh, I have a website, andrewsoa.com. Um, so I'm going to, I'm trying to do YouTube stuff, but that's been a whole process that I don't want to say that's going to happen anytime soon, but, uh, hopefully in the future, I'll have some YouTube videos up and the links will be on my Twitter and my website. Um, and then I'm actually going to be a judge in, um, a badge love contest, uh, that Hacker's putting on. Um, so that starts, that will start, I believe tomorrow. So I don't know when you release this, but it'll probably be going when you release this. Um, so I'll be a judge with a few other people. Um, so there's some uh, stuff you could win doing that. So that's all I got for now. Fun. All right. Well, thanks so much for um, for giving me your time. It's it's really exciting to see um, and and talk about some of the work that you're doing. And I'm excited to see excited to see more stuff. But uh, I, re I really appreciate your time. Thanks a lot. No, thanks. This has been another episode of This Should Work, episode number 14, an interview with Andrew Soa. Thanks to Andrew for joining the podcast today and giving us his time and for talking about all the cool stuff he does, the places and the, the that he does these things in, the philosophy that kind of perhaps informs some of his work and, and everything else. Um, we have actually two really exciting interviews lined up. Uh, next that I want to tease out. Um, the first one is with a really exciting um, artist craft uh, person um, and and a maker and uh, her name is Helen Lay and I'll be teasing some information out of, about that interview on our website coming up. And the second interview that we have coming up is with Christina Pei, a purveyor of Northside Mini Maker Fair in Chicago, maker of makers, and an all-around awesome person as well. So uh, look forward to those episodes with Helen and Christina coming up. 
And um, again, thanks so much to Andrew for uh, jumping on the podcast this week and uh, talking about all of the cool stuff that he does. Okay, if you enjoy This Should Work, as always, please subscribe on iTunes, leave us some comments, ratings, um, or any of your other favorite podcasting app things. Um, Share it out with your friends, and until next time, keep making cool stuff. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye.